When an ancient writer is uncomfortable about a topic, they sometimes um, talk about the events happening to somebody else. We do this too. Hey, does anybody know how to uh, how to get your lawn back when you poured weed killer all over it? I'm asking for a friend. It's not for me. It's not advice for me, just for a friend. Uh, we do this too. Um, does anybody know that... Um, if you uh, leave your car running without oil, uh, what happens to an engine when you do that? I, not for me. I have a friend that that's, that's happening to. <laughs> when you're uncomfortable about something, we use a, another person to sort of tell the story. And, and Paul is doing this um, about his vision, his experience that he had. Um, he's saying, you know, there's a guy who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. And whether it was in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know. Was this an actual transportation of his body into the third heaven? Or was this just an experience, a, a mystical experience or some kind of dream or vision? He says, I don't know, which is the ultimate uh, mark of a mystical experience is that you don't know what happened. You remember what happened, but you don't know what happened. You have no idea to explain what happened, given the laws of physics and the laws of thermodynamics and the laws of nature that you are familiar with. And, and Paul, even though he lived in maybe a more magical time 2,000 years ago, maybe when people believed more things than they maybe do today, um, people just didn't you know, get launched into space by themselves. <laughs> that, that was still something that was not normal. Uh, and so he's talking about it with a lot of uh, hesitancy. Um, John's gospel does this too. Uh, John and his gospel will say, um, the disciple who Jesus loved uh, was next to him, talking to him. And we assume it's John himself, but he's careful not to put himself in the center of the narrative. He doesn't want this to be about him. And so Paul here doesn't want this to be about him. What he's saying is, I'm about to tell you some real stuff about my life, um, some stuff that isn't really comfortable or safe, or um, it isn't. It can be a little disturbing what I'm about to say. And I'm so glad for this terrible church in Corinth uh, that the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. They they had they had problems like that when they had communion services, the rich people would bring a lot of food, and the poor people would bring no food, and they would like stare at each other while they ate their good food next to the poor people, didn't have any. This is the kind of stuff that was happening at the Corinthian church. In the first letter, we also find out that there's a man who has his father's wife. That's the expression in Greek. Um, not really sure who this person is or this relationship, but um, it's an inappropriate sexual relationship that is being celebrated by this church, that a man has his father's wife. Is this his stepmother? Um, that was a common, um, or not common, in the Anglo-Saxon world, far from Rome. So we're talking about a completely different context. But marrying your stepmother in certain situations for, for her inheritance reasons and things like that may have happened. Hard to know what's going on in the story, but Paul is saying, like, no, that needs to stop. Um, this church, you know, has to deal with this relational difficulty in this situation. 
And so the Corinthian church was messy. It had a lot of stuff going on. Um, it had all kinds of problems that Paul is constantly trying to deal with. And, uh, and yet, um, it results in the second letter, the second letter of correction, of saying, like, you guys were a little too mean to that guy who had his father's wife. You treated him really harshly, and you kicked him out of the church, and you shouldn't have done that. You need to bring him back. Uh, he wants to be back. He wants to come back. Um, bring him back. And so they do. But we also get this vision in 2 Corinthians, this account of Paul's vision or his out-of-body experience or his in-body experience of transportation. We don't really know what he's saying. But he was caught up to paradise and he heard things there that he can't repeat. Is this because they are the secret knowledge of what will be and what shall be and what will happen? Or is this some other, just he can't put it into words, what he experienced, which I think for most traumatic experience that are bad and most ecstatic experience that are joyful and happy that we're tr that are transcendent for us experiences that change our reality in a good way are also hard to talk about um, many of the things people have told me over the years as a priest are about their mystical experiences experiences where they feel like god was talking to them knowing full well that if they were to say this to their friends and family they would be considered to be completely bonkers and out of their mind. And so Paul is careful of that too. He knows that people are going to think he's weird if he tells them the straight up truth. But he tells them about this ineffable experience, this undescribable experience that he, he had. Um, and he said, I could boast about it. I could boast about it because not everybody gets these experiences. Um, not everybody gets to feel this kind of being caught up to paradise experience. And I could boast about it, but he said, um, because just to keep me from boasting, God sent me another experience. He sent me this ecstatic experience of transcendence and bliss and happiness. And he sent me this other experience called the thorn in my flesh, a, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, nobody knows what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. What he's talking about he's talking about it metaphorically it's not a real thorn um, but that's how he describes it something that's kind of always there a thorn doesn't kill you it doesn't you know take all your joy away in life but it's a thorn and it's constantly there and it constantly has a way of coming back uh, when you least expect it this is the thorn in paul's flesh that he um, feels like god sent to him to uh, keep him humble that even though he's had these wild experiences with God, that that ultimately um, his experiences are counterbalanced by this thorn in the flesh. Uh, lots of theories abound on what it is. Many, many very scientific minds will say um, Paul is dealing with his uh, bad eyesight, his degenerative eyesight. Um, he does say in another letter, I'm writing you in really large letters, really big letters, because so I can see them myself. So we know he had some kind of eyesight problem. It may have just been he wrote by candlelight a lot, um, which is not easy to see what you're writing. But um, so that may be it, his eyesight. It may be a wound from when he was beat up. Uh, we know he references being attacked by animals in an arena in the Roman games, which was a very normal thing to do to prisoners, was to throw them to ravenous animals. Um, but somehow he survived that and was rescued from that. Not sure what happened there. It doesn't say what happened? It may be a metaphor to people, like he fought wild animals, some really terrible people. I don't know. 
um, the the most uh, theory that I go with that uh, that means the most to me is that the thorn in Paul's flesh is an X. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm oh I'm kidding no not kidding kidding uh, oh sort of kidding. Um, in other words, it was relational. This thorn in his flesh was some sort of relational thing. Uh, maybe someone that um, he had had a good relationship with and didn't anymore that sort of had a pain in his soul that kind of constantly came back. Or maybe it was, um, maybe it related to his singleness, um, the state of singleness that he can travel. Um, he can do God's work very freely, but he also um, is alone. Um, I, I do think the thorn in the flesh was a person or a, a difficult relationship. And it wasn't like some satanic ex or anything, but, but certainly a, a difficult relationship, one in which he always felt a little sorrow or always felt, even at his happiest moments, um, some longing for or something like that. I think human beings, we are created for relationships. We're created for communion with each other and with God. And and so whenever there's a rift in a relationship, it really does take us all the way down into the hole. It has a way of taking us into despair. It has a way of feeling like a thorn in our side. I remember my first heartache I ever experienced, uh, sadness of the heart. And I was so shocked that I felt it right in my chest, in my heart. I know they had talked about heartache like being a thing in your heart, but I never realized it was true, that you can feel things in your own body that are happening in the outside world around you. In uh, The rabbis in Judaism have a way of describing this. Um, and in one of their commentaries on the Torah, which says, do not cut your flesh when you're mourning, when you're grieving. Do not cut your flesh, it says. And the rabbis took this to say, you know, when your outer world, something collapses in your outer world, a relationship or some other thing you're part of in your outer world, do not create a distress in your inner world. Do not cut your flesh because what has happened to you happened to you in your outer world. It happened in the world around you. It did not happen inside you, even though it feels very much like it happened inside you. Um, so they say, rend, rend your garments, rip your clothes, which is a very ancient and even modern in some places thing to do when you're grieving, to, to rend your garments, to just tear your clothes out of grief and suffering. He says, the rabbis say, you can do that because you're, you're tearing the external world around you. Your clothing are external to you. And what has happened to you in this, in this tragedy, in this heartbreak, is in your external world. It's not inside you. So don't cut yourself. Don't cut your flesh. Don't hurt yourself. Um, rip your clothes because that's outside you, but don't take it inside. And to me, that's always been good counsel um, whenever we deal with whatever we're dealing with. And Paul is dealing with it too. He says that he doesn't boast about these visions. What he boasts about is his weakness. He says that he boasts in his weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in him. And that he's content with his weakness the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. What it means to follow Jesus is that we, followed a we follow a crucified Messiah. We follow a crucified Savior. And that means that his ultimate act of triumph was an act of weakness. And so when we embody weakness, when we act in weakness, when we um, thank God for our weaknesses, which is really hard to do, and nobody can do it for you. When we do that, we are actually following Jesus 
in the way that Jesus called us to follow him. And this is not something we can impose on other people and their weakness. When someone's suffering, we don't say, hey, that's great. I'm so glad you're suffering. You're going to get so much closer to God through this. Um, we don't say stuff like that. That's rude and not helpful. But what we do is we pray with each other, knowing that God is working in their life um, at the same time God is working in ours. That whatever they're going through, whatever we're going through, is somehow forging us into the people that God wants us to be. And it's hard to, to be with. It's hard to feel your, ourselves. But that is exactly what Paul is saying here in this text. That when we're weak, that is when we are the strongest. Amen. The Song of Simeon Lord, you have now set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. The Collect for Mission on 101. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name. Amen. <laughs>